When the contract's not clear, when it's vague, that's what can lead to litigation. The more gray area you have, the more area there is to fight and have a dispute with the other side. As a business to function, you have to take risks. I know you need to have it, but I hate paying insurance because I've never used it. I and knock on wood, right? I don't think the capitalism could survive without insurance. Business is done because there's insurance available. This is Maestro Minute the show that discusses all things real estate, sharing interviews with the most successful people in the industry. Hear from their perspective and what they are doing to achieve success. Get exclusive tips on how you can also succeed in real estate. Maestro Minute is brought to you by Maestro Development. Here's your host, Nareg Muradian. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Maestro Minute. I hope, hopefully you've been enjoying the interviews we've had so far. Uh, super excited today as I am in all my interviews, but today is a special one, extremely special. And uh, today we got a really special guest. I'd like to welcome Meher Muradian. Meher, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. So uh, Meher uh, is a corporate attorney. So Meher comes with a wealth of litigation and corporate experience. Um, he is a attorney here in downtown Los Angeles, uh, but you serve the entire U.S. Uh, with clients ranging uh, from startups to Fortune 500 companies. He focuses much of his practice on complex, high-stake commercial litigation, business disputes, breach of contracts, which we'll talk about today a little bit, uh, and, and matters involving real estate, corporate ownership, um, kind of all things corporate across the board. Uh, we've got a lot of wealth and experience, so I'm super excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped to be here as well. <laughs> yeah. Tell everybody else a little bit more about yourself and what you do, and um, so we can learn a little bit more about you. Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Narg, again for having me. It's uh, it's it's really is uh, really cool to do this with you. I'm a I'm an equity partner at a firm called Hush Blackwell. I focus on commercial and real estate litigation. Uh, my clients are in um, different industries, but mostly real estate, manufacturing, technology, and finance. Uh, but in the real estate space, I represent a lot of real estate developers, uh, commercial uh, brokers, um, and uh, both on the commercial landlord side and the commercial tenant side, um, and all revolving around contracts and a lot of different types of disputes. Um, I'm a trial lawyer at the end of the day. I love taking cases to trial, uh, but most cases resolve. and. Uh, it's in those areas where the contracts are important, the different provisions are important um, that uh, dictate how those cases go. Uh, I'm super excited to be here. Um, it's really special being here at the Jonathan Club with you as well. Uh, I'm really proud of all your success and everything you've achieved and uh, let's get to it. Awesome, awesome. But today is about you, it's not about me. <laughs> out of all the litigation you've gone through, how many of those settle out of court? Is there like always like a rough percentage or is it customized to the actual case? So that's, that's a very good question. Um, so I've been practicing about 20 years. I've had five to six trials in 20 years. And so for a business litigation attorney, that's actually a pretty good number. Um, criminal attorneys, DAs, defense attorneys go to trial all the time. But on the civil side, uh, it's really expensive, uh, time consuming, it's emotional, affects the business's bottom line. So a lot of cases resolve. Um, but I like to prepare cases from the beginning uh, as if it's going to go to trial um, and gather all the evidence, develop the theme for the case, see the uh, 
the strengths of the case, the weaknesses, and try and create some leverage to either reach a resolution or um, get ready for trial. Um, so I'd say most cases don't go to trial. Most cases do resolve. Uh, sometimes you're put in a situation where your client's put in a situation where they might not have a choice but to go to trial. Um, last year, that was a situation for me. One of my clients uh, was a commercial tenant in a real estate property up in uh, Marin County, and um, uh, they were forced to go to trial. Six weeks later, it was my first Zoom trial. Um, in the heart of COVID, we got a unanimous 12-0 defense verdict, and uh, I had a great team at my firm at Hush Blackwell, and it was a great victory for my client. He was facing you know, potential bankruptcy if they had lost. It was a seven-figure exposure case. So um, that case was litigated for years. And uh, from the beginning, you know, we, posi we positioned ourselves and developed the theme. And thankfully, the jury believed it and um, came out with a winning verdict. Um, but th those are the things I like to do. I like going to trial, but most cases don't go to trial. Okay. Okay, good. I feel like with me, I'm always... When I represent my clients, we're always managing their risk, right? And we look at it from an execution standpoint, you know, being on schedule, being on track, making sure the budget's good, making sure that, you know, the, there's the, misc the risk is minimized for the clients. What type of stuff do you work on to minimize risk for your clients on the legal side? Like, what are some good things that we could talk about? So hopefully, um, if you're transacting business, uh, whether real estate or construction, hopefully you have a contract in place that's in writing. Hopefully you're also, as a company, you're incorporated, whether you're a, a S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC. Those are all things you can protect yourself personally from liability. Uh, but then taking it a step further in the negotiation of the deal, it's kind of a risk-benefit analysis. So you might take more risk on a bigger deal, um, there's, there's a higher reward or uh, on the business side of it, or you take less risk. I have some clients that um, based on their um, business plan and model, uh, they can't afford to take risk. So they, they shift a lot of the risk to the other side in these deals, um, which includes everything from like insurance, uh, indemnification and limitation of liability. Those are the three areas. Uh, I like to focus in it. And I have a whole team of real estate transactional lawyers that help draft the agreements. Um, and I will come in later if it gets to litigation. Um, but those are the three areas like really emphasize to uh, beef up your contracts. So what, what do you see in contracts that are always kind of failing or being litigated from your clients? Are there like one or two things that always they're missing? You know, like, is, it, is there a certain thing that you should make sure it's in your contract? Yeah, well, hopefully those agreements aren't drafted by me or my office, but uh, when the contract's not clear, when it's vague, um, that's what can lead to um, litigation. Um, the more grayer you have, uh, the more area there is to fight and have a dispute with the other side. And so that includes a, a, like everything from like indemnification, um, and I can talk about what that means. Um, to what are your rights and re responsibilities on the agreement? What are the you know, representations and warranties you're supposed to fulfill pursuant to the agreement? And uh, the ones that I often see in litigation, the, the contracts or the disputes, usually those terms are not clear and there's a gray area. Um, but in this you know, uh, climate that we're in with um, you know, post-COVID, uh, uh, potential recession, 
Are we in a recession? I think people are counting their pennies more. They're taking, um, they're filing more lawsuits. I've seen some lawsuits that are just completely frivolous. And I've been able to get clients out of uh, either for a nuisance settlement amount or um, dismissed eventually, which has been great. But uh, I think people are more inclined when the economy goes down to file more lawsuits. And that's what I'm seeing now. How do you advise your clients on shifting risk away from them, whether it's indemnity or something else? How do you what's the best way to shift risk away? So a lot of that depends on what side you are on the contract, your ability to do that. But. If you have a, uh, a, well, so let me use an example. So if you're a, a commercial developer or you're a commercial landlord, um, you have tenants and you wanna make sure that those tenants, um, or if you're a contractor, you wanna make sure that your subcontractor indemnifies you for any claims uh, that arise out of their conduct um, or uh, their omission or their lack of doing something um, which brings up a third party claim, someone else. So someone gets either hurt on the job and it's because some tools were left behind by a subcontractor in an area it shouldn't have been. Um, and a lawsuit's filed later as, as the contractor um, or even as a sub, if you have an indemnification in, that, in your contract, that will protect you where then you have to either file a cross complaint against the contractor or the tenant to defend you and indemnify you in a lawsuit. So that's one really good way of doing it. Um, also, limitation of liability clauses are a great area where you can um, limit your exposure in litigation. So things like loss of business, lost profits, claims for those things, um, general damages, consequential damages, uh, incidental damage, those are kind of legal terms, but basically damages that have arised uh, you know, out of the transaction, you yeah. can limit that as yeah. a commercial uh, landlord um, or as a contractor uh, in real estate. I sign a lot of contracts. I feel like if I would send them to you, you'd be like, don't sign it because obviously it's, it's, in, it's not in my favor, right? For my business. Um, when you run in that situation, how do you, is it like you said, risk versus reward? Like I find that I do sign a lot of contracts, but there's a risk there, but the reward is greater and that all those items in that contract basically get activated if something goes bad. So my job is always to make sure that like projects don't go bad, right? All, there's always stuff that happens, but what would you say, I guess, what would you say to like, to me, like, hey, uh, uh, like over risking the, the company, like when you're just signing those contracts? Cause like, you know, like I've worked with large firms, right? And, and obviously they have a team of attorneys and me, I'm a small guy. I don't have a team of attorneys. Like, if anything, I have you, right? Um, and you're a big guy. But how would you advise someone who's in a small business that's doing development and they're going up against these bigger entities? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> first is you should be asking me to look at your contracts. Um, your, your fee's too high. <laughs> I'll give you a, a special uh, family discount. Family discount. Um, but, um, you know, it really just depends. Like, I'm not saying don't take any risk. As a business to function, you have to take risk. So I get that. And uh, a good business lawyer also, I think, understands that. So our job is to advise you of the risks and then ultimately you make a business decision. So, um, uh, you know, you don't want an attorney to say you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, because then you'll never do business. Yeah. So business is, a you know, risk. You're taking risks. 
you're an entrepreneurial and you've become successful because you've taken these risks. Um, so you have to take risks. But as lawyers, typically we're risk adverse. And so, um, you know, like our job is to advise you of the risk. But like, it's also good to know who you're getting in bed with, so to speak, who the other side is that you're dealing with. And if they have a good reputation, you have a solid relationship with them, chances are, um, if, so, if there's something arises, a dispute, you guys are going to work it out um, because of your relationship. It's it really everything comes down to relationships, whether it's uh, real estate, construction, attorney. Um, it's really down to your relationships. But it's when those go bad is when you got to lean back on the contracts. So as a small company, you know, you might not have as much leverage. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, you, if you're if you have the. Uh, like I, I have a couple clients that pick and choose what deals they work on because they kind of, uh, you know, they're like the, the cream of the crop and they can choose even though they're not a big company. And sometimes if the risk is uh, too high, they're just, they pass on that project. Um, so, um, you know, the, uh, I know you and I know that you're, you have good relationships and um, I, I'm not worried about you. Uh, but for those other small businesses, you want to just make sure, you know, you could, you look at it, the indemnification. If you get an attorney, um, get a good lawyer, a business attorney who understands your company, you understands your culture, your business, and um, you know, have them take a pass at it. Uh, there's an old adage that uh, that says like, "Don't step over a dollar to pick up a dime." Sometimes it's a good investment, but you got to have the right, you know, team in place, the right partner. I look at my relationship with my clients. I'm a partner on their team. They might have, you know. Uh, a real estate developer might have an architect or a CPA, then I'm, you know, the lawyer on the team and we collaboratively kind of give the yeah. information. You got to do your due yeah. diligence, you know? Yeah. So that's good. I, I agree with you hundred um, percent. What if you have a, what if you're in a contract and the other person on the other side of the contract keeps violating the contract? At what point do you feel is necessary to kind of raise the flag and get, you know, legal advice involved? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because if you don't defend your contract, there's an argument that you've waived your rights. And so if you end up later filing lawsuit against them for a breach of contract, they could argue in their defense that you waived your rights and you accepted the additional terms or the modification of the terms because you never objected to it. Um, you all, you wanna include in your contract like a notice provision if someone's in breach also to give notice. If you don't give notice within a certain time, then you've waived your claim to that breach. Um, but you, you absolutely should stand up, you know, uh, for your rights. Um, you know, once you get, you don't need to get lawyer involved right away, but you should let the other side know in writing that they, they're in breach, that they're violated the terms of the agreement um, and they're on notice. And then later, just depending on like how much you've been damaged, you could file the lawsuit uh, breach of contract, statute of limitations is four years for a written contract. You want to always kind of keep that in mind. A verbal contract, oral contracts, two years from the date you found out about the breach. So, uh, you know, anything beyond that, you're you're barred anyways. So, you, but you want to, I mean, as a business to your bottom line, you might not be able to wait. Yeah. You, might, you might not have no choice except to go after them yeah. because it's affecting your bottom line. Let's talk a little bit about insurance. Like I personally, I know you need to have it but I hate paying insurance because I've never used it. I and knock on wood, right? But, and the insurance rates have gone up a lot. Why is insurance important, like from a legal aspect? Well, I, I think also even on a broader context, I don't think 
the capitalism could survive without insurance. Business is done because there's insurance available. Um, and so insurance is responsible, is important because um, it's another, in the legal context, it's another risk shifting um, tool that you have. So you can require in your agreements that the other side maintains insurance so that there's any claims that they would make a claim on their insurance. Um, but you should you have yourself at least in, in place a minimum uh, commercial general liability insurance. Right. Um, if something happens on your job, whether it's like workers' comp or um, employee right. or auto accidents, you got to have commercial general liability. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're kind of like, you know, you're out there naked. Um, so insurance is really important. Um, what different types of insurances? Like there's liability insurance, property insurance, right? What other insurances like lease insurance? Like talk a little bit about those uh, in, in real estate that you focus on. Uh, in the real estate context, I've seen it where um, in a commercial property, and one tenant's damage is caused another tenant's damage. And so as a commercial landlord or even as a commercial tenant, um, depending on what caused the damage, that's whose insurance would tri be triggered to repair the property damage. And a lot, a lot of what you've seen out of COVID is this business interruption. So you've seen a lot of companies try to make claims um, uh, through their either property damage insurance or commercial general liability insurance for loss of business revenue. And the cases are, are somewhat mixed, I would say. Um, but um, that's an area where insurance potentially could pick up, you know, the damages. So it's important to have, and um, I would say to you, to the deals you're on, to the extent you could have the other side have their insurance be primary first. And that's all negotiable. That's all part of the negotiation. So do you get involved in insurance negotiations or you just come like afterward when it's being litigated? Yeah, no. I, so uh, the, the, the real estate transactional lawyers that I work with and the just transactional lawyers at Hush Blackwell I, that work with me on my team, that's all part of the redlining process. So we'll get a contract or we'll draft a contract and try to make it favorable to, to the client. Um, because it is really about, you know, shifting risk to the other side as much as you can. And again, it goes back to that risk benefit analysis. So depending on the deal, you know, you may not need to do it. Um, and depending on who you're working with. And at the end of the deal, we want our clients to close a deal. You know, we don't want to stand in the way right. of closing a deal. And so, um, you know, that's my mantra. Yeah, no, great, great point. I, I feel like we've covered insurance and contracts. I mean, the world is moving so fast. Um, I feel like everything's being expedited and now we have like this introduction to, you know, artificial intelligence. There's all these new softwares coming out um, about it. How has that impacted what you're doing and like where do you see that going for real estate and uh, in the legal world? Yeah, so AI has actually kind of become a passion of mine just because I think that's where we're headed. We don't have a choice. Um, so either are gonna get ahead of it or you're gonna get left behind. So I know that at my firm, we've invested a lot in um, legal AI, generative AI. Um, and I'm on the firm's AI uh, committee and we're developing AI policy on, for lawyers, like how do you properly use AI? Um, so on the legal side of it, I could talk about that. And on the real estate um, side of it, um, even on the, you know, just construction side of it, any 
any contract you have is is the amount of time to draft that contract um, is going to be cut short because now you're going to have all these. Um, I mean, they say AI is as good as the data. So imagine an AI where you have all these contracts that you've uploaded into the AI uh, database, and now it can pull from these agreements. You can say, okay, uh, give me a contract for a ground lease in um, Los Angeles uh, between a commercial landlord and a commercial tenant. And the generative AI can draft a sample agreement, which is great, but- um, Who typically would do that? Who usually drafts the, the draft? Yeah, I mean, so that's a good, good question. I mean, so one of the questions with AI is uh, the information you get is only as good as the prompt. So the question you ask it. So you gotta know, you gotta know what to ask the AI how to draft it. So, you know, there, there used to be a saying that I would hear is don't confuse your Google degree with my law school degree. Um, I think that's what we said for AI. Don't, you know, it, you know, so you have to be careful with AI because- Don't confuse your Google degree? Yes. Who has, people say they act like they have- Your Google search. Oh, Sorry, I see. Your Google, your Google see. search, okay. yeah. Because you can Google a lot of things uh, and whether it's, uh, you know, yeah. like you Google like, oh, my neck hurts. Like yeah. you, you can hear like the worst yeah. things. You got to really know and you really got to go to a doctor. Yeah. The same with law. It's, and I think it applies to AI. I see. Um, you got to know the right questions to ask. But also there's an ethics side of it for lawyers. But I think also for business people is you have to make sure what it's giving you is actually what you want. I think it's a good starting point, but um, I don't think we'll ever get replaced because you got to have a second set of eyes on it to make sure it's right. Uh, I mean, there's two famous cases, uh, and I just presented on this a few weeks back to the uh, International Council of Shopping Centers. They have this conference every year, and uh, uh, I led a roundtable on AI. Uh, and talked about these cases. And one is a case in New York, and a, uh, the attorney submitted a brief and used, I think it was ChatGPT, to find cases to support his position. And then when the other side went to draft their opposition, they researched the cases and found out that those cases don't even exist. So basically the AI made up these fake cases, um, and not because it's evil, but the way it's that AI data. works. Oh, it, it made up the cases? It made up the cases because the way that AI works, it's like a learning machine. So it's really like trying to find the words uh, to match your prompt, your question. So in its algorithms or whatever code, it came up with these cases that don't exist, not because it's evil, but there is a thing called hallucinations, believe it or not, for AI. So th this AI, in this case, hallucinated. In that case, the attorney got sanctioned five thousand um, dollars for coming up with a fake case and had to apologize. Um, so you, again, so he didn't verify the information from AI. Correct. He just went with it. Yeah, he he assumed it was I true, see. and so I mean, you, so you always have to verify. It's uh, you know, it's like uh, what uh, Ronald Reagan said: trust but verify. And so yeah. you still have to verify. Yeah, trust but verify for sure. How much time is saved with, with using AI? Like, are you talking about like hours, weeks? Yeah, I mean, depending on what you're doing, if you're like in this case, drafting a brief or drafting a contract, you could save, I mean, numerous hours, you know, anywhere from like one to 10 plus hours and just researching cases. And it's a really good starting point, but 
um, you know, you, you have to verify it. Um, it could save a lot of time. And then also in terms of like, I've seen it and I've heard from certain clients that um, they're looking into AI, like being in part of deals. So trans transacting with the other side, negotiating with the other side, because a lot of negotiation is not done in person, it's done via email. How can AI negotiate? How, how do they negotiate? Like, because that seems to me is, it's more than a numbers thing. It's really like, there's, a, there's like a, a art to negotiating, right? The art of the deal. Right, right, exactly. So, I mean, it, it, it again, it, have you it, seen, have you seen that happen? Like where there's a, a negotiation that's, the that AI is pushing for a certain value or a certain compromise or? I, so I, I haven't personally dealt with it. I've just, I've read about it. And what, I, what I've read and, and heard, and it really depends on the size of the deal. So these, what I'm referring to are not like big deals where yeah. like big complex deals. But on like ordinary, like simple transactions, you just give it the parameters and it can negotiate for you. Um, and and uh, I mean, it's not prevalent, but I've, that's may start happening more, um, but it's really a fascinating area. Um, you know, it's a, a lot of it's just kind of like coming into, and I, and I see it happening in the next, you know, three to five years, it's going to come around really quick. And Are you guys using it right now? We have it. We have a, a software that's called Co-Counsel. Um, and we have a license for it. Uh, we had our firm retreat month back in Chicago. We were talking about earlier. We actually had the founder of uh, Co-Counsel come and present to the entire uh, Hush Blackwell firm on um, how he how it works. And so we're using it. Uh, we've invested in it. Uh, we want to be a you know, leader in it from the legal side of it. Um, but yeah, it is, it's definitely going to be a tool. I think that's going to make things more efficient. You just got to be careful ethically and make sure the, you know, you re review everything. It's never going to like be on its own. At least if it is, there's a big risk for that. Um, so, you, you know, again, avoiding risks. So you're, you're always trying to like think about that. Yeah, no, it's great. This is something that I think I've been talking about and with a lot of the people I've been interviewing is, you know, where we're at today, you know, where we've been and kind of where we're heading. We talked a little bit about artificial intelligence. You have a good network, a large uh, network and a lot of good, strong clients that you work with. What, what do you see coming down the pipeline as far as the economy is concerned? You know, what, obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but like if you were to like think about or, or feel for where we're heading, what do you see out there? Like what, what's, what do you feel? Uh, so I, I, I like uh, talking to my clients and those in the, in, in the same industries and in, uh, real estate, um, manufacturing, finance, those areas, um, and, and see how they feel about, you know, what's happening in the economy the last 12 months, projecting out, forecasting out the next 12 months and what they see happening. Uh, because you read a lot of things, you know, in the news and you watch Squawk Box yeah. on MSNBC and there's, those are you know, they, they say in news, if it bleeds, it leads. And so you hear a lot of like doomsday or stuff. But, you know, I want to hear from the people that are, you know, on the ground and how they're, how it's being done. And so things I've heard um, are in the, you know, in the M&A space, um, deals are still getting done, not as much as they were before, but there's deals that are getting done. And I, it's, I've heard that it's going to pick up at the end of this year and, and uh, which we're there now and, and carry out through next year. Um, I also heard in, in, uh, in commercial real estate, um, there's a big, still big transactions in industrial. We're in this lovely setting in downtown LA where there, there are some issues with people coming back to, the, back to work, back to the office. 
Um, a lot of companies uh, like my firm are we're hybrid, you know, and you can work remotely if you want, but a lot of companies are remote still, and 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 some companies are forcing you to come back. But there's so it, for office space, uh, that's a really tough area, I'd say. Um, but it's so in the commercial space, it's mostly industrial, uh, you know. And I've heard from other clients that it's it's really you know kind of a soft recession. Um, no one really knows, but that's the feeling they've gotten, and the economy is still chugging along. Um, you know, and there may be a soft kind of uh, recession, a soft bounce. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the economy is still strong. And, and um, so and they're still transacting business, um, you know, and, and it really it depends like industry by industry, um, uh, you know, how the economies affect you. So if you're consumer facing like offices, you know, it may be a little more difficult. Um, uh, also, interestingly, um, you know, if you're in like this um, uh, kind of lower uh, echelon where like a 99 cent store, for example, like those, those type of uh, retailers are doing really well right now. And so and there's not the online brick and mortar stores, you know, they're everyone's shopping online now. Right. Um, and so I've seen, I've heard that and I've seen that I've real estate clients, developers, uh, shopping centers, like there's a lot of foot traffic and it just depends. Like the luxury side still doing really well. And like the uh, you know the lower lower side, I'd say is doing well. Maybe in the middle is is where they're having difficulties. It's a little bit of a mixed bag, but I don't see it as the uh, the doomsday kind of um, as, as people had predicted earlier in this year. Uh, I mean that's not what I've heard from clients. Um, you know I've had you know very minimal clients go out of business during COVID. Yeah. But most of them have made it through, and those that have made it through are um, doing really well, and it's made them stronger and. They've tightened up their belts and and uh, have pivoted and to to be successful economically. Yeah, that's I agree with you 100. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty bullish on where we're heading, and you got to kind of pivot to how the market changes and the demand changes. It's just it's never static, so you have to figure out, you know, where deals are done, where development is done, where what's the latest like thing people want, right? And here in downtown, like there's a, a lot of office spaces here. And there's there's a huge push for office conversion to residential, um, you know. And once that starts becoming more mainstream, I'm curious on what the lease agreements are going to be like from office buildings to their tenants, right? Like you just heard about WeWork, right? And and the, and the bankruptcy and all that all that stuff they're going through. Obviously, a different model. It's time came and passed, right? A little too uh, over leveraged. But um, have you been involved? in any of those new type of markets or new type of things that are happening? Yeah, that's a good question. That's very timely, actually, because a lot of that is transpiring right now because you have these landlords that have these, like, you know, frankly, some of these dated commercial centers and uh, people aren't shopping, let's say, at the commercial centers. Like, what do you do with this massive land? You have a lot of these, like, massive parcels of land that need to be repurposed or reused, or you have different units within those that have to be reused. And so one thing as a landlord is you want to make sure if you have a coffee place, um, you don't have another tenant who subleases it to a different coffee space because right. now that lease is being adversely affected and now you have an issue with your other tenant. So you want to be careful how the spaces are repurposed and reused. But we're, there's a lot of that being done. There's a lot of real estate. It might be, and I think I've heard this, it's one of the biggest real estate movements and booms in recent date uh, right. because a lot of these lands are being reused. They're maybe they're being put for uh, residential. Right. Um, 
mixed use um, and just repurpose. And so with the zoning, um, parking, there's a lot of issues that can come out of it, um, transactioning and the contracts and the leases. And and with the second thing is with WeWork, actually one of my partners just wrote an alert about the bankruptcy. And there's like, I want to say over 400 leases, maybe 419 leases, I think I saw. They're trying to renegotiate. And, you know, when on that volume that there may be some leverage they have. I don't know. We don't represent them. I don't know. I can't speak to that deal, but that's a little different when you have that many on volume. But I know a lot of landlords and I've seen it in my, for myself, a lot of cases where um, I've been on both sides, commercial landlord, commercial tenant, where, you know, the, if the lease is the lease. And so if you breach the lease and you owe the landlord uh, for those payments, you know, it's going to be hard to get out of that. And then on the flip side, um, um, as a landlord, it really just depends on your relationship with your tenant um, or in the, if you're doing a deal, a real estate deal, um, you know, it, it depends on, you know, how, how badly you want to get the deal done. The terms are right. Financing is a whole area. Um, you know, like the financing may affect the deal. Um, so all that is constantly moving right now. Yeah, no, it's exciting time to see the kind of the demand pivot, especially in the office market. We're looking at a lot of office residential conversions. Um, prefab is huge, uh, but I think, you know, having a trusted advisor like you on board is huge because, you know, obviously we talked about risk uh, for the past half hour and how minimizing that's super important. So yeah, I think we've covered risk. We've talked about the future. We've talked about contracts. Those are all uh, top items, I think, on our, on our agendas that we always look at. Uh, you know, if you guys made it to this interview this far, this is actually my uh, twin brother. Um, surprise. You probably knew that <laughs> if you knew us, but if you don't, uh, thank you for making it this far to the uh, interview. Uh, Meher, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, enjoy this, this conversation. Uh, hopefully you don't bill me for it. But thank you guys for joining. Hopefully you guys liked it as much as I did. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We got a lot more great content coming up. Um, so stay tuned. And uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in to the Maestro Minute podcast. Make sure to rate this podcast if you found it helpful, share it with a friend that could use it, and follow us on all major podcast platforms. The Maestro Minute, powered by Maestro Development.